0: And so I think that music and designing a room, you know, is really similar because it's like you're creating something that takes up the entire space that you, you occupy. Like you can stand inside of music and have music surrounding you the same way a room does.
1: Hello and welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about leading your best creative, passionate, multifaceted life. Over the last several years, I've had the opportunity to interview so many wonderful creative individuals and I have learned ever so much. However, I realized that Maybe I should share these interviews again because there were so many people who listened the first time around, but so many people who might not have heard this podcast yet. So I am sharing these episodes in this season called Full Circle so that you, oh my dear listeners, can gain the same wisdom, humor, life advice, absurdity, all of the wonderful things that I gained doing these interviews. I want you to have all those. So if you like this podcast, Please make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and come hang out with us on social media. We are on TikTok and Insta as Why Not Both Podcast. I chose to release this episode with Kathleen Hanna again because I just am so inspired by the way that she shows up in the world. We talked in this interview about the ways in which she uses her creativity as well as her voice To really highlight the works of others and give other people the opportunity to shine. And I just continue to be inspired by the ways that she does that. She's releasing her memoir in the spring, which I will link to in the show notes. And she's been making music, doing her thing in the world. And just, yeah, she's one of my personal heroes. So this was a really fun interview. And she also ended it by saying, uh, who needs edibles when you have Pam Schaefer? which, hands down, is still one of my favorite compliments. I hope that you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. Welcome to our Not Both, Kathleen. It's a weird time. (laughs) (laughs) How late were you up last night,
0: Ms. Slap Happy? You're slap happy. What better time to do a podcast than when you're totally COVID slap happy?
1: Seriously, seriously, because I, like I said, I was trying so hard to be responsible and go to bed at a normal time, and then Los Angeles was like, surprise, an earthquake, and I was like, I'm a native; I should have expected this. Yeah, you should have.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> it's your fault. It happened.
1: Totally my fault. Totally my fault. Just like blaming on the Jewish girl from the valley. Just be like, no, it's you. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> like, Oh my goodness. How have you been during this time? Like what have you been up to?
0: What is Kathleen Hannah talking about herself in the third person? (laughs) What what am I doing? I can I tell you what I was doing before. Oh my God, of course. Okay, so me and my band, Bikini Kill, were in Portland, Oregon. And we were staying at this weird place called the Bodecker Foundation that this guy who used to work at Nike, whose dad wrote children's books, what? started in honor of his dad, and so there are all these children's illustration wallpaper everywhere that was really amazing, and it was wow. super, like, it was like, just really cool architecture in Northwest Portland, and it was like, we basically lived in a place where people had meetings occasionally, but and there was a half pipe and a recording studio and like three kitchens, but it was the four of us just there ourselves most of the time and so it already felt like we were in quarantine like we were practicing (laughs) it was just such a weird situation and we genuinely like as a band before we go on tour we meet up for two weeks and we rehearse because we live all over the country and it was we all we we usually all live together in the same place the bikini kill was in this weird like art space Mm -hmm. all living together rehearsing and We sounded so good and we were having so much fun. And then, you know, it started getting more serious. And like we would walk to the grocery store and all of a sudden, you know, certain items were all gone. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: And then people started wearing masks. And then, and it was this was like the 10th of March. And our tour started on the 13th. (gasps) And Seattle got shut down, I think, on like the 11th. So we had to just call it. Yeah. It, wow. It's been really weird. But the thing is, is that I, I run this t-shirt company called Tees for Togo. And each shirt we sell sends a girl in Togo, West Africa to school for an entire year. So oh all you do gosh. is buy a shirt and that money sends a girl to school. It also buys Incredible. books, it buys solar lamps so that girls can study after dark. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, to me, it's amazing. It's like you get a really cool looking shirt. Like I love the Kim Gordon one we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, I mean, there's tons of them that I love. It's, it's just a project that I feel really passionate about. And like, I really enjoy designing stuff and working with other artists. And so it's been really fun, but I've really put it on the back burner because Bikini Kill was basically going to be touring all year. And uh-huh. I've been putting my focus on that. So now that i mean, I know you're not supposed to say quarantine cause it's actually staying at home or something, but whatever. Um, Now that I'm in quarantina, I uh, have been working a lot on Tees for Togo.
1: And I hired
0: my first employee (gasps) a week before COVID.
1: Congratulations.
0: I know. But I was like, like, okay, I just hired you. Because I was, I guess it was two weeks before because I was going, I was going to meet up with Bikini Kill in the Northwest. And I hired... um, someone to do stuff while I'm gone and to kind of be my assistant and she's been great. And we've just been working virtually this whole time and it's just actually been awesome to have this cool project and we're just laying everything out for when COVID stops. So we're ready.
1: I was going to say like in some ways that's such like serendipitous, beautiful timing.
0: Yeah. And it's given me a way, I can't really work on music right now. It's just, I think, I mean, are you having feelings? I'm having, I have a lot of feelings.
1: <laughs> are you like having them? Or are I, you like- I, I'm having delayed reaction feelings is how I describe it, is that I feel like everything is so scrambled right now that I know that I'm having a feeling, but it takes me longer to untangle it than usual. And usually I would untangle it with music, but that also feels confusing. So it's like, it's like on a delayed scale. Like normally it's like, flash feeling and then, oh, here's a song or, oh, here's an idea. Whereas right now it's like flash feeling. What even is that feeling? Do I even know? What instruments do I play anymore? Yeah. I turn on <laughs> one of my keyboards. <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> so what are
0: you doing? So you're like working on your podcast.
1: I was gonna say, staying sane, working on my podcast because then I get to talk to other humans. Um, but I've just been making like ambient soundscapes because I find them calming to make.
0: <laughs> we, we used to have this dude when we lived in New York because we lived in New York for like 22 years, and uh, there we lived across the street from a, a park, and like street musicians would come over there, uh huh, and like play basically directly at our window. And it was like, there was this guy who would play sax. That's an aggressive
1: move, but I'm here for it. Yes. It
0: was so loud and it was so (laughs) awful. And he would, he was terrible. He would play like these medleys that always had like, you know, these are a few of my favorite things worked into it. Like where all of a sudden he's playing something and it's like, you know, that song would start. And I was just like, every time it started, it was like a drill in my brain. (laughs) And So I went over finally after like two weeks, I was like, you know, I work from home, it's hot, I have to have the window open. Like, I, it's really hard for me to write. Yeah. And, and work with like loud saxophone playing in my window. Can you just, right around the corner was a different bench. I was like, could you just go sit down <laughs> And the guy started flipping out at me and being like, only oddballs don't like my music. I'm a professional recording artist and I'm recording at a studio in the neighborhood, which I knew was not true because there wasn't a recording studio in the neighborhood. (laughs) And it's like, I'm standing there. And of course I'm not a musician. I'm some weird lady. (laughs) Like, I don't know what kind of job he thought I had like data entry. I don't know. But I was like, dude, like he's like, I'm providing a service for your neighborhood and everybody else loves it. And I was like, well, I mean, if you give me a free sandwich, but it's a shit sandwich, (laughs) it's not actually a present. And so then I had this huge argument about shit sandwiches with a saxophonist. And I was like, I can't take it. And I went back in. And after a couple months, he went away because I guess his fictitious recording gig. And then this dude who looked like Father Time with like the long hair and the long beard Uh came And it was the first and only street musician that I have ever loved. Aww. He there with a massive keyboard. Like, you know, the keyboard that's like a, it's actually could be used as a really big coffee table. <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> it's like one of the old Yamahas that you're like, is this a weapon? Is it yes. furniture? Oh, wait, <laughs> no, it's a keyboard.
0: <laughs> yeah, Is it an anvil you can drop on someone's head? Um, yeah, so he had that set up. And he was out there playing like ambient music.
1: Oh my god!
0: And just doing like you know swells.
1: Oh, that's so good.
0: And and then like you know a little bit of a quiet melody, but it was like we could hear it. But it was like so our background was like we were living in a film, <laughs> and creating the background music. But there was no singing. There was no horns. There was no you know what I mean. Right. And then we realized he was selling weed. This is before it was like you know
1: legal. This is the most magical person.
0: And I was like, dude, dude's disguise as a drug dealer is I'm the guy who plays ambient music sitting outside the park. And I was just like, that's the best scam ever. No one would ever suspect him. And I was like, you know, yelling at, at my husband, like, come over to the window. Look, he's selling weed again. He said, or <laughs> whatever he was selling, mushrooms. I don't know. But I was just like, can you imagine him like being like, yeah. I'll I'll be the guy at the park. You'll recognize me. You'll you'll
1: know. You'll, you'll know, know who me. I am. You'll you'll get it. You'll catch on. <laughs> oh my God. I love that I'm like, I just make ambient music because it's calming, but what if it were a front for something else?
0: That's, or just, I mean, I maybe it. you
1: should take it
0: outside <laughs> to a park. No, I just like I don't want to write lyrics right now.
1: Yeah, they all come out really uh <sighs> <laughs> like what what's been coming out of have you even have you attempted lyrics or are you like uh uh-uh? uh
0: No. I mean I I have some thoughts of some things I want to do music but musically but I just like I'm really like I'm making a bunch of stuff with my hands right now. Ooh. Like um I'm building a town called Kathleen Town. um I I found all this stuff I went to interior design school when I was 38 years old um what yeah I went to Parsons and to get my associate's degree in interior design and I found all these boxes with all of my old stuff in it and it has like I have all this poster board I found like not very much model making stuff so I've just been making stuff out of like toothpicks and like old erasers and just like anything I can find in my house I've just been like building stuff like building little things so I'm making this place that I guess I called it I just joked with my friend when I sent her a picture I was like it's Kathleen Town and she said it looks like Barbie Guyana
1: (laughs) (laughs) the first thing that crossed my mind is I was like you're doing the analog animal crossing I don't know what animal crossing is Oh my God. Uh, Every, every millennial and zoomer right now is obsessed with this video game that I have not played, but apparently you have this, this is going to be hilarious. If I include this on the podcast, it's going to be like the elder millennial attempting to explain a video game. It's like you, you have like your little, your creature and then you build your creatures home, but every creature lives on its own little Island. So you build out your Island but then you can, like, visit other people's islands. I think that's why everyone's playing it right now, is that it's oh. quite accidentally, like, a very heavy-handed metaphor. Um, but, yeah, you get to design everything yourself. And I think that that's, like, the appeal of the game, is that, like, it's, like, if you're stuck inside your house, you get to play this game where you are stuck on your island, but you can make it really cool.
0: Yeah, I think that's part of that's part of the thing. And also just, you know, the frustration with the – um, political administration currently, uh, it makes me feel out of control in a way mm-hmm. that like, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to play solitaire on my computer because I can control this. this is something. And I was like, this is boring. And I don't want to stare at a screen. And I just like making stuff with my hands is actually the way that I feel like I'm working out some of my, my feelings. Yes, that makes you know, sense. Like, I don't I don't want to build a world in a fucking computer because everything now is on the computer. I mean, everything was before, but everything now, even to a greater extent. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out backgrounds on Zoom. Like, uh-huh. I just, um, I don't know. I just, like, went back to this thing that I love doing that I gave up because um, I kind of realized in school, a teacher took me aside and she's like, you suck at this, <gasps> basically, like, what? Well, no, I mean, okay, she didn't see you Encouraging you there. suck she,
1: moment? Was it a break you down to build you up? Was it like, what no, happened? No, no, she was just,
0: I, I really liked the strict teachers, actually, because I felt like they were really putting in their time and um, giving their all, but she was like, okay, this, the programs I had to be good at was like CAD, you mm-hmm. know, which is like a, yeah, know, like it's a design instruction. Player. like I had to do hand drawing, hand drafting, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. I was terrible at it. But my presentations were really cool and she's like <laughs> you should just make art like if you want to build a model stop trying to build a model like i would have to draft it out first mm-hmm. by hand and then i'd have to do it in cad and then i'd have to like build a model that was like exactly the right specifications do you know what i mean like the wall yeah, yeah. the wall was 1/300th what an actual wall would be you know what i mean like of course using all these calculations and it didn't have to be exact and she's like, why don't you just make whatever you want? Because you're clearly, this is just like, you should just make art. Oh, I know. And I was like, she's like, but you suck at this. Like, <laughs> you suck at The drafting part and the, you know, and I tried, I really did. And she's like, I just feel like your presentations are really weird and interesting. And like, they're not really acceptable to like give to a client, but they're like really cool. That's Why don't don't you make art? And so now I'm finally taking her lead and just like using some of the skills I I learned back there and using all my leftover materials. Oh my God. I knew I was keeping that foam core for
1: some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I finally feel vindicated in my keeping of weird scraps of fabric and strange sparkly bits because I'm like, guess who has done photo shoots in her house now? It's me, the person who's not at all a photographer nor a designer, but I've got some weird sparkly things.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, we've got a lot of fabric scraps.
1: Exactly. I'm I'm curious what made you go to school for interior design in the first place? Like what what in your brain was like? Yes, this is the way. Because I'm like that's fascinating. I had no idea that you did that, and I'm like that's really cool.
0: Um, it was like. You know it's I don't know. So being in a band, you know going to going on tour, you've been on tour.
1: Yes, it is a very strange experience.
0: <laughs> okay, so the bathrooms.
1: <laughs> okay. The
0: bathrooms are so gross and typically the backstages are super gross. Yes. Thanks for the IKEA leather chair that is like basically infected with every different version of bed bugs and lice. Uh-huh. Um, Thanks for the drawings of like women, you know, the drawings of penis, penises and women Uh with boobs on the walls. Um, And just like, you know, going to the bathroom where, you know, there's drawings on the wall. Like one time I went to the bathroom and there was literally a drawing on the wall of a woman who was tied down naked. What? With like. Yeah, with like little dudes all over her, like Gulliver's travel rape fantasy. It was so scary. And I was like, I was just like, I can't take it. I think that was probably the ultimate moment. The smell of male urine, all that kind of stuff. It sort of just, it put me in this thing where I was constantly sitting in green rooms, redesigning them in my head. And I was like, you could make this nice, so easy, right? Yes. And and I just sort of reached my limit of like having to like go into these situations and stay in these places that were so shitty that I was like, I want to, you know, just design spaces that I like. And I realized how important my home life was because yeah. I was away so much on tour back then. Like uh-huh. with the Tigra I toured a lot, and um, when I got home, I just really wanted it to be really special yeah and to have my interior world and I just started thinking a lot about you know the politics of spaces and like you know I would love to someday do projects of like redesigning DMVs you know for free like just like making them beautiful like why do they have to be so ugly they don't it's it's easy but I don't know it was a way for me to sort of think through things about my control freak personality (laughs) um, about how people use utilize space and how people could utilize space. And I don't know, it just, a lot of it had to do with the gross bathrooms, to be honest.
1: That's so funny. I was talking to Sarah from Fantagram on one of the other episodes about like how to do a deck change in the bathroom because you can't touch the floor. And it's like, thinking about the fact that you thought to yourself, okay, this is miserable. Also, how would I make it better? I'm like, that's, we were, we were at the survival stage of just how do you put on an outfit while standing on top of your shoes? Um, And yours really takes it (laughs) like to another place of like, wow, this is terrible. We should use the space differently because then thinking about, I think a lot of people don't know that those are the conditions of The green rooms and the bathrooms. And then it's like, oh, and then go on stage and um, make a really awesome experience after you've been trapped in these really, frankly, disgusting places.
0: Yeah. And the sound man's treating you like you're a total idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Basically the saxophonist with the shit sandwich. (laughs) Eat it. Eat it. Eat the shit sandwich. (laughs)
1: That that story will forever stay in my mind. Like just this terrible person. That's like I'm giving you a gift. I'm like no, you're aggressively haranguing me with a saxophone.
0: I know. (laughs)
1: I'm so mad at that guy. (laughs) I'm mad for you. I'm like that would be. That's like that is a nightmare.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was funny because it's like, you know, I've put out a lot of albums and stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and like I mean I didn't say anything like Of course, I mean, of course. But it was just like he was like talking to me like I didn't know anything about like
1: what a recording studio was. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: was you like, can't pull, okay.
1: you can't pull one of those moments of like don't you know who I am? <laughs> Google me <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> oh my god. And thinking about like the sacredness of spaces especially given that we're all confined in our spaces right now, pretty much, being able to conceptualize one's space and what makes it special is really important. And like you said, like, you just blew my mind, by the way, in regards to talking about the DMV, where I was like, the DMV doesn't have to be terrible.
0: No, and neither should, like, the unemployment office or the welfare office.
1: Yeah, like, they don't have to be, like, as grim dark as they are.
0: No, but it's it's a reflection of of how, you know, where our priorities are at. And it's like, you know, the first stuff to go from schools is like art and music.
1: Right, right.
0: And it, it, it's like, it's so like disposable and not important, but I actually believe that it's like when you surround it, people who are like, you know, in a bad situation, struggling, who need to go to, you know, um, to the unemployment office or, or whatever, Ever and and you surround them with a space that is lovely and inviting. Yeah, it's saying you matter. Yeah, and this isn't you know it, it, you don't deserve this crappy situation. And if you're going to wait in line, we're going to provide you with like beautiful things to look at. It's not hard.
1: It's I was going to really say it's it's like the the bare minimum of effort. And I hadn't thought of it that way, especially in regards to. You know the the fabled trips to the DMV. Everybody hates them, and it's like, well, you don't necessarily have to. And I think like that kind of thinking—it's so hard to get to that place where you're like, oh, well, what other assumptions <laughs> am I making that maybe things could actually be different? Um,
0: well, there are certain rooms that you walk into, and it's basically like a, a middle finger. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, it's like they might as well just have a big painting, like a mural of a middle finger, because it's just like you, we don't care about you or you suck. Exactly. But and other I- thing, my other thing that pushed me over the edge was like, you know, we would stay in a lot of like holiday and express type situations or like uh-huh. that Quinta Inn.
1: Uh-huh. And
0: I have a thing about wallpaper borders. <laughs> <laughs> like they make me literally like, and I know it's like, this is during this horrible situation we're going through me complaining about a wallpaper border is so obnoxious <laughs> and in my regular life. Right. When I would see, especially La Quinta, like Santa Fe style, most ugliest colors ever put together border, wa- wallpaper border, mm-hmm. I would feel like nauseous. Yep. And and there was just this thing of like, I've got to do something about that. And it's like, <laughs> Like I would just lay there and look at it and bend and be like, I just how do I focus it out? How do I blur it out? (laughs) Oh my god! I mean, everybody has their own weird persnickety things. It's like my thing is wallpaper borders. That is so. Get me started on you know the things where people have words in their house. You know, like in the kitchen. Oh yeah, food. No shit. It's the kitchen.
1: You're like, I thought this was the mud room, but thank you for clearing that up.
0: No, it's like I'm gonna wear a pair of pants that just says pants, 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 pants all over it.
1: So what you're saying is you just find your merch above the bed. Oh, my God. Well, and I was thinking about the way that you can care for people by designing space and what you said about the fact that you're like, well, the first thing you lose usually in schools is like arts and music and things like that. And I was like, well, with making music and designing spaces, those are really interesting ways of caring for people around you.
0: Well, the thing about music that relates to, to like interior design kind of decisions is that music surrounds you. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you close your eyes, you're in a musical landscape. Like you're in a different situation, and I see a lot of colors in music. And when I'm mixing, me too, like painting to me, like I see things as as colors that are like juxtaposed. You know, how do I juxtapose this color? I want to have this kind of contrast. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and and so I think that music and designing a room, you know is really similar because it's like you're creating something that takes up the entire space that you, you occupy. Like you can stand inside of music and have music surrounding you the same way a room does.
1: That is a beautiful analogy. And I'm glad that you included sound and color in it too. That's fascinating. I was just like, oh, that makes total sense now. Cause I was like, oh, what's the connection there? And you're like, here, let me elucidate it for you. (laughs) (laughs) like, well done. And I was thinking about what you were talking about with the t-shirts. The first thing that pinged in my brain was just uh, thinking about the structures that we have in place in each country, that the cost of a t-shirt here funds an entire year's worth of education and supplies there. Like that to me, that I, that was the first thing in my brain that I was like, whoa.
0: Yeah, it's mind-blowing. It's, it's absolutely mind-blowing. And like, just being like oh you know this i really like design um whether it's sound design whether it's like visual design i really love design and i was just thinking of like you know what do i have sort of in my toolbox that i can utilize to do something positive in the world and you know especially me too was taking um the media by storm
1: you and
0: i was like thinking about oh you know, people were were being really critical and like, well, if Me Too is just, you know, white um, like Hollywood women talking, like that's not really everybody. And like totally agreed, but I also really applaud women who have in all industries and from all locations um, who have participated in, you know, bringing out their stories and other people's stories. But I was like, instead of complaining about it, I was sort of like, well, whose stories aren't being heard. And I was like, more women, women in third world countries, women in, in um, you know, women in, in Togo. And I happened to meet a woman yeah. from Toba, Togo who was an educator. Whoa. Left Togo and now lives in Pasadena. And she, her whole family's there. She grew up there. Oh my God. She, she was, she got a job as a nurse when she came to Pasadena and started sending money back to send, oh. girls, so she would see, like all the girls would drop out, like in you know fourth grade or something when they had to start paying and the boys usually would be prioritized and they would still wow. go to school. And so at first she sent, you know, two girls, she sent, you know, like $80. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, by the time she was like a nonprofit, she was sending hundreds of girls. Wow. And, so I started the t-shirt company based on this thing of it's $40 and all of the money goes to uh, Tina Campour, who runs Peace Sisters, mm-hmm. who is actually, you know, goes back there every year, is very, very involved, very trustworthy, and just like a cool person who's like, was already doing this massively cool thing. So I right. just got to jump onto her train <laughs> and be a part of like, well, what's something fun that I could do? What's in my toolbox. And I was like, I know other musicians. I know some comedians, you know, like my husband's kind of famous. Like I could do t-shirts of my friends um, who don't have t-shirts made of them. Like Carrie Brownstein is on Slater-Kinney shirts, but like who's making us just a Carrie Brownstein shirt. Right. So I got Kim Gordon to make a, a Carrie Brownstein shirt. That's and, okay. yeah. And started just and making these collaborations happen that were really fun. And, um, actually, you know, we sent like, it went from 238 girls to 408. We sent our, the first like six young women to college or nursing school. Wow. 178 girls, the IDs that they need, because most, most people in Togo are birthed at home and they don't have like the information that they need to get into college. You have to have this ID card. Right. And it costs it's the it's completely cost prohibitive. They wow. and it's really, really difficult to get. So Tina set up in Togo a whole situation via which the girls in Togo can get these ID cards. And we've been also putting money towards that. So it's like these little things that you know you don't really think of. It's like, you know, we kind of take for granted, I think a lot of us here, mm-hmm. you know, being afford getting a form of ID so that we can drive a car or go to school or get a job. Right. And it's these things that we take for granted that are really important that get covered. And in doing that, I'm really excited to, you know, watch the plays that some of these women make up and read the books and, and hear their voices. Because to me, rather than complaining about the Me Too movement, I wanted to do something that would, um, you know, give women who usually aren't heard, girls and women who usually aren't heard, the ability, the actual tools to be heard. And that's how You know, if you can't read and write, it's pretty hard, you know, to write that novel.
1: Well, and that's very much, I like what you said about, you know, that in a way it's like, amplifying their voices, because you're not the central person in the movement that you're talking about. Like you said, you're like, hey, I hopped on what Tina was doing. Yeah. You, and it's like, in a way, you were able to use all of your tools and all of the things in your toolbox to amplify what she was doing, and then make it even bigger and brighter. So then it's like, okay, who can we benefit? So it's not just about you being like, well, I'm going to do this. You're like, oh, this woman of color is doing something really amazing. I'm going to amplify what she is doing, um, which I think is exactly what people were complaining about. There's that it a was a
0: helicopter. Does that matter?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I heard the helicopter, and I'm like, I'm like, stop talking about me. Exactly, helicopter is like hey. My own story.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's it's really amazing for me. It was like this great opportunity. I, I mean, I was given a flyer. I moved to Pasadena. I didn't know anybody here. Um, and I was given a flyer to go to this, uh, like thing at a little store at a little shop about this project. And I was interested in my whole family went cause my, my mom and her partner lives here. Aww. And so we all went and there was like six other people there. And then Tina got up and spoke and I was just like, Oh my god, I have to be involved with this. This is amazing. That's And um, yeah, and then I just started throwing parties at my house and stuff like that and I go to the board meetings and then I became the ambassador. So can you please call me Ambassador Hannah?
1: Ambassador <laughs> Hannah. You sound like you're on Star Trek.
0: <laughs> it's me, Ambassador Hannah. <gasps> anyway, so what are you what are what are you what did I don't even know about you?
1: That's so funny. Yeah. I sometimes feel like when I'm recording the podcast that I'm just like, I wonder if it's weird for my guests to be like, Who's this lady that I'm talking to?
0: <laughs> I feel bad I didn't research you. I'm such a dick. Like I usually like to research people first, but I just it's been you know, it's been a
1: it's been a weird, weird time. No, that happened to me that a guest actually came on who had researched me more than I had researched them. And I was mortifying. He was like talking to me about like past episodes I'd done. And then he's like, do you even know anything about me? And I was like, uh, like I listened to your album and it was really nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm a professional. Don't mind me. <laughs> Oh my God. No, like the, the nonprofit that I actually work with, uh, is in my therapy life where, um, I work with a nonprofit called the Pineapple Group and they offer, uh, subsidized mental health care for people in the sex work industry.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: Which is rad. So I have lots of really
0: good. You 25 years ago.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's the thing is like the woman who started, she's so cool. Uh, Leah started it. Because she noticed, obviously, that there were a lot of mental health crises within the sex work industry um, that weren't being addressed because of the stigma of when people go then to seek therapy that people are like, is the problem the sex work? Mm -hmm. And most of the time, the problem is not, in fact, the sex work. Um, So that's a nonprofit that I really like to work with because I'm like, how do I use my skills to help people?
0: (laughs) That's that's fantastic. I so applaud you on that. Thank you. Great.
1: I'm like, I'm really excited hearing about your work. So I, I always like talking to people about like, okay, if you're in a position of cool privilege, like, how do you help with that? And so, because right. I think that's the best you can do is like.
0: Yeah. Well, how do you, instead of like sitting around being guilty, smoking cigarettes, like do something. Yeah. Just do, do something. I mean, it's like, it's like, and maybe it'll be imperfect and maybe you'll fuck up and you know, like there'll be issues with it, but it's like, you know, what's the point of of being alive if you don't you know, do stuff and get involved.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you took that flyer. Like there's so many, I find, I don't know if you found this about LA, but there's so many things that despite like being born and raised here, I discover new things that I can get involved with new things that I can help out with new things that I've just not even seen. I feel like I could live here like until the day I die and discover something new each day.
0: I love it here too. I have to say it's like, <laughs> I mean, I was kind of like down on L.A. because New York started being like L.A.-ified. Like people just like the networking stuff was going out of control. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, man, everybody's acting like they're in L.A. L.A. sucks, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I came here and I was like, it is so beautiful here. And also tons of my friends from, because you know, touring and stuff, you meet so many people over the years and like, a lot of them are here. Yeah. And so i yeah. like, I've made friends with my friends. <laughs> and now I I have a bunch of old friends who are like now kind of like great new friends. Oh. The comedy scene here is amazing. The what? The comedy scene. I'm really into the yes. comedy.
1: Oh man, comedy is such, and it's fascinating because I've noticed so many musicians live streaming, but I've noticed not as many comedians, though there's a few that I follow on Twitter who've been making some really, really quality, like short video content. Like who? Um, Matt Bouch. Uh, how do I say his last name? It's like Bouchel, Bouchel. B- 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 oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. making him all sorts of different nationalities I don't
0: know now. I B- but I don't know. <laughs>
1: I don't know. I basically I I tweeted back to one of his tweets, and it got more likes than like anything else I've tweeted. I was like, "Cool!" A joke that I made to someone else about having seasonal allergies has gotten more likes than anything uh, else recently. But that's fine. I'm not bitter. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> he he makes these like short videos, just uh, really spoofing everything that's going on right now. They're pretty excellent, and I don't know how to say his last name, so I'm really sorry, Matt Boucha Bechamel Sauce. It's fine. Yeah,
0: my friend Lizzie Cooperman started doing a podcast about you know being in quarantine, Um, like right as it happened. Oh wow! She's a, she's a stand-up comedian and a and a comedy writer as well. Genius, absolute genius. Like I was like such a huge fan, and then I met her. And we became friends, and like we went to see Sinead O'Connor together and we like super bonded and she lives five minutes from me. So it's really hard that she's five minutes away, but I can't hang out with her.
1: Yes. um,
0: Yeah. But she, my, my cousin, uh, my cousin Jane told me about this thing called pivoting. Uh Uh-huh. It's like a trending, it's something that is trending, like a word that is trending now. It's like where, um, people have to, like, change what they're doing because of the circumstances. Uh Uh-huh. Pivoted from being... I like to use this in a... I'm using it in a sentence. Lizzie Cooperman pivoted from stand-up comedy to podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) So now I've been thinking about it. I was like, wait. So I pivoted from being a musician to, like, cutting stuff out of construction paper and gluing it to toothpicks? (laughs) Pivot, that's a sad pivot
1: the diorama pivot none of us saw coming
0: yeah it's kind of it's kind of a, a lonely sad pivot but I, I'm working it into some other stuff so it's gonna happen but yeah it. I, it's interesting to see how people in different jobs are pivoting or don't have to like you know one of my best friends is a dog walker and she's still walking dogs yeah he yeah takes her, Phone and um takes me on walks with her down to, oh. yeah, and then I get to meet all the dogs. I mean, I've met some of them in person before, so you know oh Martin is still very much not liked, but <laughs> yeah.
1: I was like i I literally was thinking to myself, I was like, oh, that's the dream getting to meet so many dogs, yeah, I was like that sounds so nice,
0: I know, and it's like she she walks like in the sand like down by the ocean and then this other place she walks up on the hill is like it looks like like a good version of the poppy field in um
1: in the wizard of oz
0: the wizard of oz it's like beautiful like field full of flowers and the dogs are all romping around it's like it's the best and you know so so i i really i can't have a dog right now and and I really miss having a dog. I miss being around dogs. My funnest thing to do when I would be on tour and have a day off in San Francisco is I would go walk dogs with Dusty, my friend Dusty. And now during this thing, like she's giving me this beautiful gift of when she's out on walks, she's always, she films stuff for me.
1: Oh, you get to go on virtual dog
0: walks. Yeah, so I'm going on virtual dog walks.
1: Oh my god, that's the best! I was like, I was thinking of like the ways you express love. I was like, what a beautiful act of service to take you on a virtual dog I walk. Know.
0: I know. I, I have <laughs> some really lovely friends.
1: Oh, <laughs> I was like that. feels what my are you going to do
0: for me, Pam? What kind right? of virtual thing are you going <laughs> to take me on, Pam? <laughs>
1: I was like, Dad, you can't go to any of your LA City Council meetings. You can't do any of your commissioner work. I'm like, just play with your ham radios. And he was like, What?
0: Are you in a movie because your dad actually does ham radio?
1: Oh my God. See, maybe
0: that's like the beginning of a movie where it's like your dad's on the ham radio and finds <laughs> out about COVID and then you set everything up and then
1: <laughs> there's my act of service. My dad will ramble at you if you ever give him the opportunity about ham radios um
0: I just thought that was something only in movies <laughs> you have like just totally blown my mind that it is a real thing
1: it's a real thing like I think that's where I get my love of weird gear from whereas I'll tinker with like any weirdo analog modular whatever like I'm like you want to see my omnicord like whereas my dad like I think I get it from him because he's just like you want to see my weird room full of radios I've built <laughs> like-
0: I wanted to bring back the CB radio because I was really big into CB radios when I was a kid. Oh, that's in awesome! Seventies, and I was like, if everybody got CB radios and we all were on one frequency, it could be like a new radio station. You know what I mean? Like yes. a private radio station where it's like all your friends in your area had it. I don't know. Oh it's my just, god! Because it's totally dead tech, except for for truck drivers. Yeah, you, you can get on a different frequency so that you're not hassling them, or
1: like you know exactly. I still need to get like my handheld uh, ham radio because he's like, "Well, kiddo, you know, in case of an emergency." <laughs> and now I'm like, you know, I for decades I've been resisting this, but I think you might have a point. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, we have like an emergency solar radio that That's our smart. friend gave us. Our friend gave us like this survival pack, a backpack, like. Five years ago, the drummer for my last band, Carmen Cavelli, and oh my God. He, hes like he's the dude who, like, if there's an apocalypse, you're like, I want him on my team. Yes. Like, I'm like, where is he? I want to be with him. Also, I have to say, a therapist who can play music is an MVP <laughs> in the apocalypse. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, Carmen can like build a house. He can build furniture. He can cook. He can, like, fix a car. Like, he can do all of that kind of stuff.
1: Uh-huh. Our,
0: our whole joke about him was, like, oh, in the apocalypse, Carmen, wherever you are, we're going to be there. We're going to be there. Because, I mean, we're, like, my big skill is I can order Chinese food <laughs> right on the phone um, or through Grubhub or one of those apps. I was, like, I'm really good at that. I'm good at taking orders um, and then calling it in. So, I- <laughs> I'm not very much, I'm not good in apocalypse. I don't know what, you know.
1: You'd be I mean, like, oh, I, can but
0: I can wrap a mean present.
1: Oh, I can't wrap a present. I always, it's the, it's the, it's sticking the landing on wrapping presents that gets me. Like it starts off fine. And then at the very end, I'm like, here's an awkward corner. <laughs> You'd be you'd be like the organizer in the apocalypse. Like we'd be scurrying about trying to build cars, do emotional labor, play a ukulele, something, whatever it is we're doing. Please don't play a ukulele. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry, this is not my fave.
1: I will never play a ukulele for you.
0: <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just like the, you know, the girl with the long hair who pulls out the ukulele at the party and starts singing in a fake Ella Fitzgerald voice has oh. like... Ruined the ukulele for me.
1: <laughs> you know her. You know her. Oh yeah, she's she's akin to the guy who brings the ukulele to the party and then rambles to you about polyamory.
0: Ooh, that's bad.
1: Yeah. How and
0: about I yeah. The, white, the the white trust fund kid who sits on the subway that you ride every day and sings Bob Marley covers. Ooh. Wait, what is this show about? I feel like, did we even do anything about your show? Like,
1: We're we're unsure. At this point, literally, the podcast is... um, It started as people who are multi-passionate about things because what better to do when I already was doing two things than to talk to other people about doing more than two things. Um, Oh, so this is about
0: multitasking.
1: Yeah, it's kind of about like... Because there's the whole narrative about like, oh, you have one true passion and you follow that. And I was just like... Well, why do we get shade for following multiple passions? Like, that's kind of dumb. People are usually interested in more than one thing.
0: But also, when you're like, for I feel like my creative processes, I usually have two or three projects going at once because then when I get bored of one, I don't like start hating it. Yeah. I just go and work on the other one. So, you know what I mean? Like, if I'm like doing a lot of stuff, like preparing my body for tour or whatever, and, you know, like, just working on ideas, working on costumes, all that stuff. Then I have another project that's going that, you know, where I'm like writing a TV show with a friend and I can like go back and forth between those two when I get bored. And that, that to me is way better than multitasking because yes, multitasking um, through yoga, which I never do, but I say I will do (laughs) Uh, like Someday I will develop a practice, but when I have done yoga, I have definitely learned that multitasking is not a good idea. And it's not, even though I'm good at it, it's just, it's almost like just addicting behavior. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, it's a way to not really enjoy anything you're doing because you're doing too much all at once. And so I prefer to like really focus on one thing as much as it's enjoyable and then be able to flip to another thing. Like back in the nineties, I was like writing songs with Bikini Kill and I was working on a fanzine and I was, you know, volunteering at a rape relief shelter. And it was like, um, really great to be able to flip back and forth. And then, you know, all of a sudden I would pop out of my apartment and I'd have like a fanzine done, an album done, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At the same time. So they all kind of come to fruition at the same time.
1: Yeah, because that's exactly that flipping through things. And I like what you said about how it's like when you get either bored or like in some ways, like I've talked to other artists about this, where you get not stuck in like a I have to stop way, but stuck in the way of like, oh, I want that to run in the background of my mind instead of the foreground so I can untangle part of it. It's great to have other things that you're doing.
0: The thing about music is like, it's, I, for me, I find time and distance, like, really important, like, you know, work, 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 work be having an enjoyable time, and there's also, you know, with it, there's the, the boring, all the boring stuff, you know, a lot of the boring tech stuff, to you, it sounds like that, the tech stuff is fun, um, which I tip my hat to you for that, <laughs> um, but, you know, doing, you work on it a lot, and because I do a lot of vocals, it's like, I'll do vocal take after vocal take after vocal Mm -hmm, take mm -hmm. for a couple days. And then if I go away from it for a week, I come back and I know exactly what vocal take is the right one.
1: Yes. yes. Yeah. And it's
0: like, it's just that, that time and distance from it actually makes the project a lot better because then, you know, you're just like, you can't see the forest for the trees at all at a certain point. And you just need to step away and, you know, Go make some construction paper bracelets.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I like that also in your time away, you just spoke about volunteering in the nineties as well. That it's like in your in your downtime from creative time, you're making yourself of service to other people too. Like that's really cool. But, I
0: mean, that was it was also selfish. Every everything I do is like I just think that the whole idea of altruism is super flawed because if you're lucky enough to have the leisure time that you can volunteer Mm -hmm. or to have the, you know, to be born into white privilege, to, you know, marry someone with a lot of money, like all these different things. It's like, I'm so lucky to get to do that. Like not, and I'm not trying to be like, Oh, look at me, you know, whatever. Right. Right. But like, I am trying to kind of be like that, but (laughs) I'm just saying, I just don't really believe in this altruism idea because I get so much more back and I know people always say that and it's cornball but like <laughs> you know when I was working with other women I was they were helping me work through my shit that what? I never was dealing with you know what? And sometimes it's sort of like doing you know gallbladder surgery on yourself um instead of actually getting help but I eventually did you know get a therapist and and stuff but Helping other especially young women um working with like teenage sexual abuse survivors and stuff when I was like nineteen um was really it it was like me being the person that I wish was there for me mm-hmm. and in doing that it was really healing because i I said I was saying to myself everyone deserves that yeah everyone deserves to have have someone there for them and I deserve to have somebody there for me.
1: You know what I mean? And yeah, and I don't I just, that I think that that's selfish. I think that the fact that helping other people and that that helps you, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think that when thinking about altruism, like, I think it's a wonderful ideal. But in fact, like helping people feels really good. And I think that that's okay to admit that like helping other people makes you feel better.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's, and it's really, it's like, you're so lucky. I feel so lucky to be able to do it because, you know, there have been times where, you know, I was working, you know, like 10 hour days and doing the band and, you know, I was still doing like speaking gigs. Like I would go to Bikini Kill in DC I would go to high schools and give uh, like talks about rape. Wow. And, but I would only do it like once every couple months. And so it wasn't like, you know, an a ongoing thing. Cause like I was, I was just working so much at my job
1: mm-hmm. um, and,
0: and then doing so much with Bikini Kill at the same time. I just, I didn't have time. And so I started doing that. And this one time, I went to do a talk and I got there and I thought I was the expert because I had worked at a shelter and done counseling for teenagers and, um, and you know, had all this training and, and I got there and I realized I was the testimonial
1: <gasps> Whoa. I was
0: at an assembly for a high school and there had just been a rape, like in a stairwell.
1: Oh my God.
0: Well, and so they were, they had to have this like sexual assault, like awareness week and I was asked to do it. And then as I was sitting in my seat, you know, on stage waiting to talk, the woman before me started doing the thing of like, if I say, don't touch me on this arm, you cannot touch me on this arm. You know what I mean? Like, just like kind of laying the groundwork of consent and stuff like that. And she's throwing out statistics and I'm like, oh no. (sighs) And I had like super prepared for this. And I was like, oh Oh. God, what am I going to do? So all of a sudden, I had to get up and like tell one of my stories, and Ooh. I was just like, "This is not what I wanted to do." But it 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 ended up really cool. Like it was actually one of one of the kind of I don't know, you know, those like sea change moments.
1: Uh huh. Uh huh.
0: In your life.
1: Wow. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine being like that vulnerable and and being that surprise vulnerable.
0: All that stuff is always like given me a lot to write about and you know the burnout um the the burnout stuff part of the reason I became a musician was because I I burnt out on doing direct service work and I just couldn't do it anymore and so I started using you know music as a way for me to cope with doing crisis lines and um and I was like how is it that sexual assault and domestic violence are so prevalent. And yet, and I actually was running a club with my friends (laughs) at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, We started a a club in Olympia, Washington, and we had bands play. And I was like, how is it that I, we've had bands play, you know, like two nights a week for a year and no one has sung about these topics. It's always (laughs) like my girlfriend's such a jerk. She talks too much, like whatever. And I was like, How is it that all the music, even like alternative music and punk music and underground music is pretty hard to find songs about like family violence or Mm -hmm. rape? And, you know, people talk about dysfunctional family. I really believe like 90% of Americans live in dysfunctional families. And the whole idea of a normal family is like, isn't even real.
1: I think it's fascinating hearing you talk about why, you know, and I can use the word in context too, why you pivoted. (laughs) I
0: pivoted. I did. I pivoted.
1: You pivoted from crisis management and you went to music. And that's fast. I hadn't thought about that, about what people were writing about and why. Because I remember the first song I actually heard about rape was Tori Amos, Me and a Gun. Yeah. I was thinking about what you said about like, when you heard people singing about everything that you weren't and you took it upon yourself to start singing about domestic violence. And I was just like, what were people's reactions when you did start singing about that?
0: Oh, they just, they embraced me with open arms, Pam. I mean, (laughs) they couldn't give me enough love. I mean, you know, it was the nineties and a lot of people were like, the whole, the, the really biggest thing is like, this is unnecessary. Mm. Which was like, I was like, well, I was like, this shelter is constantly full. Cause I worked at a place that was like a domestic violence relief um, shelter where you did overnights and you did crisis phones. And, um, and then I was a part of a teenage sexual assault, like group where we got together and talked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, if feminism is unnecessary, why is the shelter full? Right. What? Like, you know what I mean? And like, typically it was like male musicians who like lived in my apartment building. Cause I lived in an apartment building with a lot of musicians. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know basically like, oh, but our town and our scene doesn't really need that because we're all inclusive. And I was just like, whatever, well, why can't I just sing whatever I want to sing? And then speaking of therapy, Pam Schaefer, <laughs> uh, like the whole thing was like, it's just your therapy. It's just your therapy. It's just therapy. It's just therapy. Wow. And I was like, the thing is, is like, I have ex- experienced like sexual violence in my life and violence, violence in my life, but a lot of the songs were me, you know, I I couldn't talk about clients, like confidentiality. I would turn things into stories from multiple different people, from my friends, from me. I have an imagination just because I'm a woman doesn't mean that everything I say is like literal. You know what I mean? Like I would write these songs and everybody assumed every single thing was about me and that I'd like have all this you know super horrific abuse happened to me and that's why I was a feminist and you know it's just the typical thing and there was actually a a woman in our town who was really mad about our band wow like really angry and we live in a small town so like you know everything about like people were like oh yeah you know Jennifer who I'm just b- baking that name <laughs> Jennifer said you guys suck and Jennifer said that you know like fem. Feminism like there's so many more important things in the world than feminism and I'll agree. It's like unless it's a a, a Feminism that's about ending oppression against everyone. I don't care about it, but right. like And I and I and I agree if your feminism is like let's get into the boardroom and be capitalist like everyone else like I, I, I Agree with Jennifer's assessment. That's not I, I Don't think that's super interesting, right? She was like so mad and so like, um, we weren't even popular. I mean, we played like one party and it was like this fear that like people were going to hear us. And it was like, we were an embarrassment and this whole thing. And years later, years, years later, I hung out with her at a party and she said, you know why I hated you was because I had all this unfinished business in my life having to do with violence wow and you put it in my face
1: wow it was
0: like a shoot the messenger situation
1: yeah it was like since you made her confront it she was then mad at you yeah wow
0: Part of her denial of keeping it at bay and keeping you know all that stuff hidden away was you know enacting like her hatred of us was like just like she was like boarding up a window full of yeah.
1: shit. Well, because so, no one no one wants to look at the situation they're in and be like, well, this is terrible because then you have to admit that you're in a terrible situation.
0: Or that you were and you, yeah, you got to, you, you've been stuffing it down this whole time. So that yeah. was, that was one of the most interesting reactions and in that I actually got like a kind of full follow through on
1: it. Of, yeah. And I'm like, good on her for doing, that, doing that reflection.
0: Yeah, you know, it, a lot of it was was you're just doing this for therapy and I'm always like, "Well, so what?" Like at the time I couldn't afford therapy and isn't that what people do with music is like use it as a way to, you know, either get get close closer to the spiritual, get closer to understanding the world we live in, and isn't that kind of what therapy is about? I don't know. I I have one of my best friends Jim Andrellis uh is a country um musician just put out a record his uh was trying to put it out I think it was like March 22nd was his record release day. But his music is amazing and he he's my other therapist musician friend now that I can call huh? you a friend Pam yay
1: okay. we're friendos and also oh my god you have another whenever I find another therapist musician friendo I get so excited
0: I will send you his info His <gasps> sounds are so beautiful I mean this guy is just whatever you know how you are about <laughs> your friend he's next yeah. level amazing but I, I couldn't go to his shows because I would just cry oh. the whole time but he does he does have a song that is specifically about someone who was um a client. Wow. And it's really beautiful. And and it made me feel really good because it was sort of about like, you know, a therapist and having the boundaries. But yeah. how in his heart he's like, I just want to hug you and take you home and tell you you're wonderful. Yes. And I can do yes. that. And I was like, wow. I don't know. It's just, it it really made me feel good that having that much love for a client, but, you know, not being able to express it because of boundaries. Right. And him having this place as a therapist to decompress and unload. And, And that's a, yes. And that's a gift and that's beautiful. And that's, I would never say like, It's just
1: therapy. It's so strange that like people would use that to malign something. It's like, oh, God, it's just connection with yourself and other people. It's like, why on earth would that be a bad thing? That's a great thing.
0: It's not art. It's craft.
1: (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. What pinged in my brain when you were talking about singing about domestic violence, singing about feminism, singing about all those things... I had a college professor who I was talking to about music in a philosophy class, actually. We were talking in office hours. And he said about Tori Amos, he's like, well, she only, he said that she was boring to him. And I said, why? And he actually said to me, he's like, well, she only sings about rape. And it was so interesting to me. That, like, that, that was, the th- he was a philosophy professor. And his big thing when we he was analyzing papers was all about like, well, what's your evidence for that? And I literally looked at him and said, well... What's your evidence for that? And he just stared at me. And it was the impression that he got over at that point, like four albums that the woman had made one song explicitly about this. And I was like, I didn't have the words for it, but it was the impression that if you dare mention one thing, (laughs) all of a sudden you are the person who only sings about that. And I was like, wait, hold up. No, what? Yeah, no, it's like, oh,
0: he only has one song and it's about human rights.
1: He's a human rights singer now.
0: Oh, you mean Bob Dylan?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on this podcast that has morphed into way more than I ever anticipated this podcast would morph into because the world's a trash fire right now. Well,
0: all I have to say is who needs edibles when there's Pam Schaefer? (laughs) That's a glowing recommendation. (laughs) You can put that on your your press quote page in your electronic media (laughs) kit.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked what you heard, please head over to your preferred podcast platform, and follow our podcast. You can also give us a five-star rating or drop a glowing review. All of these things help more listeners to discover our podcast, and that means that then they can enjoy the wisdom of our wonderful guests. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are on Instagram and TikTok under why not both podcast. Thanks again, and we will see you the next episode.
0: We'll i